0: hello and welcome to our next episode on the book of romans today we're going to start chapter seven and we will see how far we can get Uh, so as we dive into chapter seven you'll probably see some passages that you are familiar with uh, but it is really really important to keep these passages in context the the importance of context has become more apparent to me as i do these deep dives especially in the book of romans This isn't really a book where you can dive into the, where you can just jump into the 7th or 8th or ninth or 10th chapter and quote a verse without explaining the context around it. So I want to be really careful with that as we move deeper into Paul's letter to the Romans. Uh, It can be really easy for us to just kind of default to what our pastor taught us 20 years ago, or what this blogger or podcaster mentioned a few years ago, or what our specific denomination says about a theological concept. That's touched on in many of these passages, Um, but I really want to do my best to set that aside, to set aside tradition, to set aside preconceived notions and just take God's word for what it is and let God speak for himself. So with that in place, let's jump back into Romans. So you will remember, uh, as we wrapped up Romans, uh, Romans chapter 6, and the summary of that section is that we are alive in Christ and dead to sin. You can't have someone who is alive to sin and also alive to Christ. The two don't mix. Uh, Paul ends that section by saying that we are set free from sin. We were formerly slaves to our sin, but we are now slaves to God. And that brings us to Romans chapter seven. So let's read the first six verses and see where Paul takes us. So starting at verse one, or do you not know brothers for I am speaking to those who know the law that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives for a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Okay, What the heck is Paul talking about? Why is he all of a sudden bringing up marriage and adultery and death? Well, what Paul is doing in Romans 7 is beginning to flesh out the relationship between man and the law. The law of God. And he picks up right where he left off in Romans 6. We are no longer slaves to sin, but to God. Where does that leave the law of the Mosaic Covenant? Well, that's what Paul begins to explain. He starts with an analogy showing that the law is bound to a person in their life. But once they die, they are freed from it. The example he uses is a spousal relationship that is bound under the law. If someone, while they're married, lives with someone else, then they are rightly called an adulterer. But if their spouse dies and they marry someone else, then they're not bound by the law of marriage that they were, un- that they were previously under. And that analogy is what Paul puts on to the believer. He says in verse four, likewise, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. So in Christ, I am dead to the law. Those are Paul's words. <laughs> he says that now that we're dead to the law and alive to Christ, that our sinful passions that brought about death That we are released from that, and that now we serve in the newness of the spirit. And Paul, as he always does, anticipates the questions from his audience. And you're probably thinking and asking the same thing. If this is how Paul views the law of God, is he saying that the law of God is bad? That the law is sinful? Let's pick up at verse 7 and we'll get to his answer. What shall we say then? That the law is sin? Proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Paul addresses our questions here. If, if being under the law led to sin, are we saying that the law was itself sinful? No. Paul continues to clarify our relationship with the law of God and says that the law is not sin, But the law helps me see my own sin. Paul says that we would not know that we aren't supposed to covet if the law of God had not said that we are not supposed to covet. It's interesting that Paul uses coveting as the example here. He doesn't use murder because even without the law, the formal law of God, we could probably figure out through the common grace of God that killing each other is bad. But what's wrong with coveting? Coveting just means to have a desire for someone else's stuff. Are we really saying that we can't want other people's stuff? That's not what I'm saying. That's what the Bible is saying. That's what the law of God says to us. Without the law of God, Paul says that the sin of coveting would have been dead to him. It would have held no power. The sin of coveting would have still existed. But Paul gives interesting insight. He says in verse 8 that sin seized an opportunity through the law to produce more covetousness. So covetousness is a sin. And the law of God points that sin out. And now that the law of God highlights this sin, Paul says that our sin produces even more covetousness. The law is holy and good, but sin seized an opportunity to twist itself into our lives and bring about more sin. Okay, so what's, what's the logical question that we should follow up with this for the next section? Paul, Paul just said that the law is good, but as a result of the law, more sin came about. So are we saying this good thing from God actually brought forth sin and death? Nope. <laughs> but I'll let Paul speak to that. Let's look at verses 13 through 20. Starting at verse 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Again, you can continue to see this pattern that Paul is laying out in this section of the letter. He's providing insight into our relationship with the law of God. What the law does and how we and our sins screw it up. Now, admittedly, there is an interesting debate in the church about who Paul is talking about in this section. There tend to be two camps. There's one that thinks Paul is referring to unbelievers... Uh, it's, since it seems like these people still struggle, like they are enslaved to sin. And the other side thinks that Paul is referring to himself and current believers. Uh, I tend to be in the Paul is talking about current believers camp uh, for a few reasons. First, what Paul is describing is consistent with other scriptures. Uh, if there's ever anything unclear in the Bible, it's best for us to let other scriptures speak into it. Uh, so we have scripture like first John one, eight through nine or Galatians five seventeen that shows that Christians still wrestle with sin and they will wrestle the rest of their lives, even though they are free from their sin. And second, Paul is speaking in the present tense. And that's important for us to understand in many of Paul's letters. It's crucial to look at when he's speaking about believers, unbelievers in the church. And this will come about more in Romans. But Paul also does it a lot in his other letters. He'll talk about life before Christ and it will be in the past tense. This was formally true about you and me. Uh, and then he'll shift to a present tense when referring to those in Christ and the truths that they experience in the current reality. And that's what we see here. Paul says, I do not do what I want. Not, I did not do what I wanted. And that pattern continues through the rest of the passage. You see this continual struggle in the life of a Christian. You know the good that you are supposed to do, but you do the opposite. It's this present and real struggle with the freedom that we have been given and the flesh and sin that remains in our lives as we continue in the process of being sanctified in Christ. Paul fleshes out this concept a lot more later in Romans, but it's the theological concept of being both justified and declared innocent in the eyes of God. We've been reconciled to him. And also at the same time, a sinner who still wrestles with their flesh while being sanctified to look more like Christ. Martin Luther used to have this saying to describe this reality for Christians. He would say that he was simultaneously justified and sinner. In Christ, my current reality is that I am both righteous and a sinner. I am innocent in the legal sense. There is no crime of which I am declared guilty in the eyes of God. And yet, I continue to sin and add to the list of sins that Jesus took care of in his sacrifice. But like I said, we're we're getting ahead of ourselves. This is something that Paul addresses as we move through Romans. So let's stick with chapter 7. Uh, I want to finish the chapter out and let Paul wrap up this section. So let's read starting verse 21 through the end of the chapter. So I find it to be a law that when I do what is right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So you see Paul explaining a little more of what we were discussing in our, in our innermost being. We delight in the law of God. The term inner being in the Greek basically means your essence as a person. So the essence of our personhood loves God. And yet there are members or flesh that still wars against the essence of our being. Paul is clearly frustrated. And I'm sure some of you along, (laughs) I include myself in this, have also felt that same frustration as you deal with your sin. It's so frustrating to know and understand who I am in God and yet still wrestle with sin. And in that frustration, Paul points us to the continual answer for Christians. The answer for everything in that stereotypical Sunday school answer. It's Jesus. Before Christ, we need Christ. After we receive Christ, we still need Christ. We are called to rest in Christ, rest in the eternal work that he accomplished on the cross. It's so tempting for me to flesh this out more. But again, Paul does that through the rest of this letter. So I'll uh, I'll end it here and let the reality of chapter 7 sink in. And then we will jump into Romans 8 and let God's word kind of flesh out this topic a little more. But let me know your thoughts. I want to hear uh, what insights do you have? What do you think about Uh, what do you think about Romans chapter seven? We actually made it through the whole chapter, which I wasn't planning on. So that's, there's that, uh, what is the Holy spirit highlighting for you? What do you disagree with? Are there things that you think I'm taking out of context or maybe things you have questions on? Uh, I want to continue this conversation. This is such an important chapter. So thank you for tuning in as always. May God bless you and I will see you soon.